think she was asking for cars and all I got was like death. Yeah. Welcome to Charlotte Mason Says. I'm John Chindell, here with my wife, Crystal. Join us as we read and discuss the home education series. Hey everyone, the giveaway for the home education books that we've been talking about for the last month just ended and we drew winners. So if you were one of the two lucky winners, Crystal will have sent you an email from charlottemasonsays at gmail.com to give you instructions about how to redeem it. Thanks to everyone who entered and took part either by subscribing to our various things, promoting it elsewhere, or becoming a part of our mailing list. Here's to another awesome year of reading and discussing Charlotte Mason's Home Education Series. And we're back. Following up on last week, because we left it hanging, because she said, meantime, let us consider one or two preliminary questions. And, and we that, left. And that's where we left it. This week we are doing, this is part one, section two, three, and four. And five. Yeah, two, two three, 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 four, and five. four, and five. Talking all about the child. Because the first thing we want to talk about is, before even talking about education, is who are we dealing with? What, what, what are we working with? Who are we educating? Right. What, what is a child? And what does being a child versus being an adult mean? And how does God view that? Because mm-hmm. she dives straight into the, the, almost the theological implications of what a child is. She does. She she definitely does. So she starts here. She says, And first, let us consider where and what the little being is who is entrusted to the care of human parents. A tablet to be written upon? A twig to be bent? Wax to be molded? Very likely, but he is much more. A being belonging to an altogether higher estate than ours, as it were, a prince committed to the fostering care of peasants. Which kind of, I don't know, you go from prince to peasant as you grow from childhood to adulthood. Well, she so that same prince is going to be a peasant. Is going to be a peasant like one day, years. as compared to the child. So maybe the prince is still princely, but the child is even more princely. No, she calls them peasants. Well, I realize that it's it's not the 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 pauper to the prince. It's the the prince to the pauper every time. Yeah. <laughs> We're really, we, we go up in the world. No, we don't. Prince to pauper. <laughs> that was sarcasm. Oh. <laughs> well, I didn't catch that. And I'm right here. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I didn't lace it well enough. So she dives in next to a Wordsworth quote. This is from 536 Ode. Intimations of immorality from recollections of early childhood. And it's a selection, two selections from that. But what she really loves about this quote is this section, but trailing clouds of glory do we come from God who is our home. Because she quotes it again. Next page. That's true. Did you actually read the quote? I I tried. (laughs) I noticed that it rhymed and it had a meter. I listened to it. I didn't actually read it. 
listening to it probably would be a better way of consuming that piece of poetry. In case you're new here, John and I are not huge fans of poetry. We're trying to force ourselves to actually read poetry, but... Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Po- <laughs> poetry for me has always been something that is written to go with a song. Or words that are that are sung to music. It's not that you just say poetry. You, you sing it. And when it's sung, it can have meaning. But when it's just said, it's... It's lacking. Yeah, they're just words that you're saying. It's weird. Also, it's really windy apparently outside. So if you hear wind noise, sorry. So yeah, I mean, he he basically, well, she says that next to the Bible, this is the deepest insight into what is peculiar to the children in their nature and estate. And then she goes on to quote some verses in the Bible. Of such is the kingdom of heaven, except ye become as little children, ye shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven, who is called greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He called a little child and set him in the midst. And then, so that's the divine estate, the divine estimate of the child's estate. So uh, she, 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 I don't know, sets it up pretty, pretty loftily. Yeah, she says it's worthwhile for parents to ponder every utterance in the Gospels about the children, divesting themselves of the notion that these sayings belong in the first place to the grown-up people who have become as little children. So where the Bible talks about little children, she's saying it's really talking about little children. Mm -hmm. And yes, as adults, we're supposed to become like little children. But when it's talking about little children, it's, it's about little children. And we should treat it as such. We should hear Jesus saying, let the little children come unto me, and realize that he's talking about children. So then she she goes on there, taking her own advice. She moves on to what the Gospels have to say about, about parents and children. And the one quote that she pulls out here is, Take heed that ye offend not, despise not, and hinder not one of these little ones. And this was... Uh, she says it's in the Gospels expressly laid down by Christ. And so for the rest of the show, we're going to be talking about those three things. To mm-hmm. offend not, to despise not, and to hinder not. She says, uh, these are the three educational laws of the New Testament, which when separately examined, appear to me to cover all the help we can give the children and all the harm we can save them from. That is, whatever is included in training up a child in the way he should go. And she goes on to say, she let us look upon these three great laws as prohibitive, in order to clear the ground for the consideration of a method of education. For if we once settle ourselves with what we may not do, we are greatly helped to see what we may do and must do. But as a matter of fact, the positive is included in the negative. So she's saying these are things that we should not do. But as we examine the things that we shouldn't do, it should clear the way for to, to tell us what we should do. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we've just pretty much read that first section <laughs> we we pretty much have but she's pretty clear here there's there's nothing really between the lines there's nothing really to discuss she did oddly enough she's she's clear in her writing as far as i can tell there you go well done miss mason yay <laughs> so the first one we get to is offenses offending the children and her definition here is that we offend them when we do by them that which we ought not to have done we despise them when we leave undone those things which, for their sakes, we ought to have done. Well, and it goes on. Offense 
we know is literally a stumbling block. So we offend them when we allow them to stumble on a stumbling block. And I like she she moves on here to give an illustration. She says mothers mothers know what it is to clear the floor of every obstacle when a baby takes his unsteady little runs from chair to chair. And it's absolutely true. You get parents with a child who's learning how to walk and the parents sweep away anything that the child could step on. Until they're older. And then you say, why didn't you step over that? Yeah. And then you teach them to do it themselves. That's true. But we do the same thing. We we clear our mm-hmm. own way. Uh, we, we do it every night. We make sure that there's a clear pathway from from the kids' room to our room. So that if one of them needs to come to our room or we need to go to their room, we're not going to be stepping on Legos and cars. Because it's painful. Yeah. And it hurts. And yes, I just said the same thing twice, but that's okay when it comes to stepping on Legos. It's painful and it hurts. <laughs> so that's the per- first part of this is just the definition of what does it mean to offend the children. And so then she dives into this next section. She says the, the next section is that children are born law abiding. And I'm not quite sure I agree with what she's saying here because, yeah, children aim to please, but children also do some naughty things just because they want to. Like, I don't know where Isaac ever learned to bite people, but he bites people. He wasn't taught that. He just does it. Mm-hmm. And... And there are other parts of that that are true as well. That, and 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 so I don't know. I don't know if I'm reading what she's saying wrong. I don't know. I I I was uh, hesitant in this section as well. One of the things that I do take away from it is that you should not play upon the child's sense of right and wrong merely for your pleasure. Because they they display everything on their face and in True. their countenance. So you should not, again, back to our, our two-year-old, He, if he is upset, you visibly can see it. His bottom lip comes out. His stomach comes out. He puts his head down, looks at his feet. He shuffles his feet. Or he just collapses on the floor because the world has ended. And so for us to intentionally do something to make that reaction happen, that's offending the child. Yeah. Yes, that's absolutely true. I, I'm not sure this whole the child is is sweetly good because they are inborn sweetly good. I'm not so sure about that part. But but them knowing and having these huge emotions and transmitting that so hugely yes again huge twice hugely is a word hugely massively i don't know but (laughs) but transmitting these so bigly so 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 bigly that we can see (laughs) and then us us doing something you know no you can't do that just to see them right fall on their face because they're so upset that's not right. So that we can enjoy their That reaction. is an offense. That is a stumbling block. That is us doing what we ought not to have done. Absolutely. 
And I, I definitely agree with her there. And, and as she goes on, I agree with her next, uh, her next example of this as well. Well, by slow degrees, here a little, there a little, all that is good or bad in character comes to pass. We see the child doing something wrong, and the child looks at the mother going, well... You gonna stop me? Are you gonna stop me, or are you not? And, and again, the testing, and it even says that this is a two-year-old child, where that's the job of a two-year-old, is to find their boundaries and find out where they are. And the poor mother has set an offense, a cause of stumbling in the, her path by allowing him to get away with something. Right. And then it becomes a struggle of wills. And as it comes on, he will do as he chooses if he can. And henceforth, the child's life becomes an endless struggle to get his own way. And the struggle, she goes on to talk about the struggle between the child and the parent, where the parent will be worsted because the parent has other things to think about mm -hmm. and the child has this bone to pick has only one thing but later in life that struggle is going to be internal between the child and the child yeah. or the adult and the adult that that person inside themselves it will always be a struggle to do what you want versus what you should right and she going back to parents and children there's there is that inborn struggle that happens if the child is not brought up to good habits. Right. Yeah. So I, I definitely agree with, with that. I, I agree with where she goes with the thought, not necessarily where she starts with it. Mm -hmm. And, and I like the, the next section too. The, she, she says that children must perceive that their governors are law compelled. She says, let the child perceive that his parents are law compelled as well as he, that they simply cannot allow him to do the things which have been forbidden it's not that they the parents just arbitrarily decide yes or no it's that no there's a law which governs life and we cannot allow you to break that law because these things are not right and to back up a little bit to to the child who doesn't know what must means who are not moved by ought and whose hearts feel no stir at the solemn name of duty. We need to instill that in them, as well as display that to them, in that we are under a sense of um, must, we are under a sense of ought, and we are under a sense of duty. Right. Therefore, you need to be also. So that right there, that makes me think about uh, the movie Mulan. And I, I, recorded, <laughs> I recorded a conversation with a friend of mine, and one of the one of the big ideas that that movie had was that the the titular character Mulan was led by duty and by honor to do what she does and there's a lot of other stuff going on she doesn't really fit in the world she she doesn't know who she is or what she should do and she she's having an internal struggle but every everything she does she does out of a sense of familial duty familial and and even nationalistic duty hmm. she she must do this this must be done for the good of her family to save her family to save the nation hmm. i i honestly hadn't thought about that until you you read through that but that's a that is a character quality that we can instill in our children and that that has been historically instilled in children 
and especially when you look at when you look at some people groups that it's it's more a cultural norm for those to be instilled well even going back to uh page 1 children are a public trust yeah i guess page 2 the children are in truth to be regarded less as personal property than as public trust to be put into the hands of parents that they may make the very most of them for the good of society yeah do do it because it is your duty do it because you ought because you must because it's right because it is right yeah yeah so anyway i i i don't know that that struck me as as we were reading through that and you were talking that yeah, Mulan is a is is one who exemplifies those ideals. Well, and here's something that we do. She she says ne- not necessarily that you should. Um, she says to give reasons to a child is usually out of place and a sacrifice of parental dignity. We don't have parental dignity apparently because we give our children's reasons. We do. We we both give them reasons. We make them say yes, mom, or yes, dad, first, you know, it, it's, it's do it because I told you to. And then they can ask why. And most of the time we'll answer that why. And sometimes we don't. This is what I think she's saying is, you know, you're not supposed to explain necessarily. But we do. But they also are learning to accept it when we tell them, no, you're doing this. But yes, mom, but why? No, just do it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. So we we kind of do a combination, I think. We do. We do, and and I I don't know I don't know what would be better if if not giving any reasons ever would be better. I somehow doubt that that would be a good thing, but but I, I don't know. I think reading a little further that you can read in their face and man the mother's face and manner, and to the fact that she is not to be moved from a resolution on any question of right and wrong. So I think maybe it's more of a arguing to dissuade them from doing something, the parent. Gotcha. The ar- the child arguing to dissuade the parent from As in a it's, decision. It's not a discussion. When I say no, you can't do that, and you ask why, it's not it's not so that the child can discuss his way out of it. Yeah. Because that would be wrong. That it, would be the the child learning that he has nothing to overcome but his mother's disinclination. Right. As soon as you can get mom turned, then you're good to go with whatever you want to do. Uh, yeah, and that's that's the way a lot of people act. Interesting. Well, then we move on to uh, parents may offend their children by disregarding the laws of health. She says here, she may cast a stumbling block in the way of his physical life by giving him unwholesome food, letting him sleep and live in ill-ventilated rooms, by disregarding any or every of the simple laws of health. And you haven't gotten here yet, but in this first section, she gives a lot of health advice. So it's be interesting. It is going to be very, very it's interesting. Be very interesting. So we'll see. So this this section. Parents may offend their children by disregarding laws of health, intellectual life, and moral life. Um, I made a list. It's food, sleep, air, a focused mind, and a loving home. Just to okay. to rephrase it 
a little bit to to give it a list instead of if if these are the things paragraphs. well yeah Th- these are things that the the parents provide to the children that if they don't will hinder them will will make them falter oh i see you're taking it from the negative to the positive yeah i guess cuz she's saying she's saying that parents may have found their children by disregarding the laws of health, intellectual life, and moral life. So therefore, as parents, we are to provide and and uh, allow for following the laws of health, providing a good intellectual life, and loving their children as individuals. Mm-hmm. So going from the negative to the positive there. Exactly. Well, and it's interesting, in the intellectual life, it's not that she talks about ideas. Mm-mm or habits or anything like that she she talks about an onset by a round of dreary dawdling dawdling lessons in which definite progress is the last thing made or expected and so it stultifies the wits so it's the focus the focused mind Mm -hmm. that if you don't have that at the beginning you'll never get over it right yeah, so you don't do lessons just because you're supposed to. And drag them out. And you don't drag them out because you got to get through it all. And then the loving home. The child's love needs natural outlets within the home. And I think that's that's the key sentence in here. Well, the example she gives is a child whose, whose younger sibling is loved more visibly She says, when she is the plain or the dull child of the family and is left out in the cold while the parent's affection is lavished on the rest. Of course, she does not love her brothers and sisters who monopolize what should have been hers too. And how is she to love her parents? She's saying that when a child is loved less, is the least favorite one of the children, then that child is going to have resentment for not only her siblings, but for her parents. Mm -hmm. Because that child knows that she should be loved by her parents and she knows that she's not well and knows that she should have a place a person to love also and and she goes on she she has an example of a of a lady she knows that dealt with that as a child and as she grew up her her mother loved her like anyone else like like the other siblings she says, I never felt, I never feel quite natural with her. I've never gotten over it. So it's a, it can be a debilitating thing to have, to have children who are less loved than others. Yep. So as a parent with lots of children, do your best to love all of your children. And that's really hard. It can be hard because children can be little terrible people. Well, more than that, children take time, and each child needs time. They do. Lots and lots of time. And what's unfortunate is when the naughty children get more time. And and we've run into this where there's been multiple bad habits that we're trying to correct in certain children, and the ones we're not intentionally working on a bad habit with fall by the wayside because they are... They're doing fine. They don't need attention right now, which which breeds, then leads to them needing attention. <laughs> which means they start forming bad habits so that they'll get attention. Yeah. 
and thus the cycle continues. Yeah. So it's it's something that I, I, you and I need to be very intentional with. Mm-hmm. And I think I've noticed it. I'm I, I've noticed it in the midst of it when I'm like, wait, we're not doing anything with this child who's yeah. doing great, doing fine. She's almost being neglected, not you know in any of these food, sleep, air things, but she's almost being neglected for time. Yeah, because. Our attention is so taken up in these other things, which is why I, one of the reasons a new baby wrecks the home yeah. and, and their new balance has to be struck because the baby physically demands so much of the mother. Time, energy, life. It literally sucks the life out of the mother. I mean, yeah, that that's true. That does happen. It It is. Yeah. And, and everything else has to rearrange. And typically rearranges around baby schedule. Yeah. Yeah, because, well, because baby baby's schedule has to be kept. Mm-hmm. But that, of course, means that the older children can be neglected. And so we as parents, we need to make sure that we're not neglecting children in light of other children. Yeah. So those are ways to offend children, to put stumbling blocks in front of them. And that's by far the longest of the three. So next she moves on to despising the children. And I really liked here, she started this with a dictionary definition. Mm-hmm. I like that. She says despise is to have a low opinion of or to undervalue. And as she continues, she says, if the mother did not undervalue her child, would she leave him to the society of an ignorant nursemaid during the early years? Well, and backing up even just a sentence, she generalizes it. We grown-up people have far too low opinion of children. I mean, not not even going straight to the family. It's we adults as a society mm, have a low opinion of children, you know, as a their own child society. Right. And I I do that. Mm-hmm. Before I had kids, even even now it's it's easier, but I didn't think kids knew anything. Right. I mean, I I enjoyed them. I played with them. I had fun with them. But, okay, what does a five-year-old know? Come to find out a lot. Yeah. And and looking back, I I taught the five-year-old class in Sunday school. (laughs) I had the class where kids would go up to five, and then when they, they would stay there through kindergarten. So they would move up when they hit first grade. Oh, yeah. So it was anywhere from five to six. And I'm looking back at what I was doing. I was like, I didn't. That was not appropriate. I was treating them younger than they were. Yeah. And not to a standard that they could have achieved to. Right. And how much of their behavior was because they were treated to that behavior? I don't know. I I was a young, what, 22 year old. Yeah, well, and and the question is, is sure, that's the way they were at in the church Sunday school class, but if that's the way they're they're treated at home, in Sunday school, in nursery, by their, their daycare people, that their children and their, their lesser people and their low life forms, that's how they're going to live their life. Well, and the other thing was learning how much our firstborn understood how early on. Yeah. And that, that just, 
It's mind-boggling. It blew my mind. Yeah. Because he knew so much and he understood so much of what I was saying when he couldn't communicate that back to me. Mm -hmm. And so I look at other babies and children and I go, I know that my son at that age knew what I was saying when I told him things, which means there's a likelihood that that baby knows exactly what I'm saying at this age. Not that they're going to respond to me in any way, shape, or form right. because I'm not their mother. But I know that they there's a strong likelihood that they do understand. True. Which is one of the reasons, and you and I decided this a long time ago, but only after after our, uh, Ian was born, is that when we talk to our children, we're going to talk to them in real, normal, grown-up voices. And we're going to use real, normal, grown-up words. And we're going to call them by their actual names. And when they mispronounce words, we're going to repeat those words to them correctly. Or still, when they make grammatical errors in their sentences, we're going to repeat the sentence back to them with the correct grammar and syntax. Not because we're trying to beat it into them, but because they're intelligent. Mm -hmm. Because when we use big words, they learn big words and they understand these things. John's favorite word was consolidate. Yeah, it was. It was great. It's, I have a video on my phone of, uh, I think it was Abigail asking for her food to be consolidated on her plate. Because, you know, children spread out the food on their plate and they can't eat it because they don't really know how to use a spoon. Yep. So they would ask me to consolidate, or I, they would, they would ask and I would ask if they wanted me to consolidate their food. And given enough time, they Abigail at least it picked up on it and she would ask for me to consolidate her food. I was like, yes, <laughs> vocabulary win. So it's funny. I've, I, Ian and Naomi and a little bit Abigail have copied the verbiage and syntax that the twins do, the two-year-olds. Yeah. And I've had to tell them, no, you speak to them properly. Don't uh -huh. don't copy what they're saying. You speak it properly to them. Yeah. It's interesting. It is. It is. Well, because they're saying it because it's funny. Yeah. Which is the same reason that a lot of parents say it. Yeah. Because it's funny and it's cute. Mm -hmm. But at the same time. I, I think the thing is, it's not that they're intentionally trying to be that way. It's that they're, that's just how they're communicating. And it's so frustrating when we can't understand the word that they're saying. We'll say back what we th think we're hearing. And Arturia is like, no, no, that's not uh, what I, gosh, no. What, what was it Lily was saying earlier? I think it was earlier? cars. I think she was asking for cars and all I got was like death. Yeah, <laughs> it, it did. I heard death also. So it wasn't just, it, it took a while to get to that one. I, I don't know why you even thought of cars, because there wasn't a C, there wasn't an S, and you said cars, and she went, uh-huh, what? So it's it's not that they hear themselves, and another example of this is when Ian was talking about his sister Naomi. For a long time, for some reason, who knows why or where, her name was Bika. And there's Bika. Mm-hmm. I, Bika, Naomi, okay, sure. But as soon as he got her name to be Nomi, we would say, oh, who's Bika? And he'd be like, what on earth are you talking about? Uh -huh. <laughs> you crazy person. Uh -huh. This is Nomi. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. 
Yeah, it was it was as if one day a, a, a switch flipped and and that person that he had called that for months all of a sudden was someone else. Well, and I I think what it is is it's always Naomi in his brain. Uh-huh. But his mouth would never be able to say it that young. Right. So he knows exactly what he's saying, but we don't hear the same thing. Exactly. So yeah, how did we get there? Where where are we at now? Um, the first sentence of undervaluing children. <laughs> well, I guess the second sentence. Just as a society, right? We we undervalue children, and and part of the way part of the way we undervalue them is in the way we talk to them mm-hmm. and around them. One of the fun things that Crystal and I do with our kids is that we typically don't come out and tell them exactly what's going on or what we're doing, and we don't we don't use we don't like spell at each other. So I the, can't spell out loud. Uh, I can't understand it. Yeah, it, it doesn't work for us. So what we what we've done is we've spoken in metaphor and we've spoken in big words and code. Yeah. So you know, if we're going for a walk, we're going to stroll. And they figure it out. They and we do. have to come up with another one. <laughs> but it's but it's been fun as we've had to come up with new ways of expressing the same thoughts. So moving on to this next section, she talks about, you know, if we value the child at their proper estate, we would not leave them in the society of an ignorant nursemaid. But then she goes on to say, well, but at the same time, it wouldn't do to have your children with you all the time because it would be too stimulating for them. So it's like, oh, well, I'm with my children all the time. Maybe it's too stimulating for them. Maybe it is. But this, this for the for the parent, frequent change of thought in a society of other people make the mother all the fresher for her children. Mama needs a break. Well, and she goes on and she says that. She says, but they should have the best of their mother, her freshest, brightest hours, while at the same time she is careful to choose her nurses wisely, to train them carefully and keep a vigilant... Uh, to train them carefully and keep a vigilant eye upon all that goes on in the nursery. They should get the best of their mother. But that means that mother should sleep and do other things too. Well, my best is not from about 4 to 6 p.m., also known as the witching hour. Mm-hmm. So maybe we should get a nurse to come in. It's not a bad idea. A babysitter. I mean, we and just then need I to, vanish. We just need to pay that person. And also interesting to see that she has nurses. It's plural. Right. So either there's a rotating staff or she has one for a little bit of time. Or one for each child. I don't know. Again, that's this is a a different way that society operates. Yeah. Where a, a nursemaid is a, a typical thing that I, I guess that family's had. A nurse or a governess. And I don't know if... if in which society levels that would happen or I don't know. So I, I have not done that research. Other people have, but I have not, <laughs> but making sure that you have a person who cares for your child as a child, not just a placeholder, not somebody who's coarse or rude that will do lasting harm and blunt their moral sense because children pick up on everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
they will learn that you can hide something from your mom to not get in trouble. They'll learn that they'll catch the coarse, violent, and tricky dispositions. And she goes on to even talk about these when these little faults happen, they're serious. When they show those ugly traits, when they're greedy, when vindictive, when they lie, you have to catch that right away. Otherwise, and, and you have to catch it right away and esteem it for the peril that it is. Right. When you put off the evil day and you know that someday you'll have to reckon with it and you say right now, oh, it doesn't matter this time. He's still very little. They'll know better by and by. Yeah, she she and so this is diving into the next section that children's faults are serious. She says if the mother settle it in her own mind that the child never does wrong without being aware of his wrongdoing, i.e. the child always knows that what he is doing is wrong, then she will see that he is not too young to have his fault corrected or prevented. Deal with the child on his first offense. And a grieved look is enough to convict the little transgressor. But let him go on until a habit of wrongdoing is formed, and the cure is a slow one. Then the mother has no chance until she has formed in him a contrary habit of well-doing. To laugh at ugly tempers and let them pass because the child is small is to sow the wind. These are serious they're, they're serious problems. They're serious issues. Even the small issues are serious. And if we treat them as serious than they will be. Mm-hmm. If we treat transgressions and faults as whatever, yeah. then that's what they'll be. So we definitely need to make sure that we treat our children with the dignity and respect that they deserve as being a being belonging to an altogether higher estate than ours. They're a prince and we're peasants taking care of the prince. We have to treat it as such. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so then the last of these three, we talked about offending, we talked about despising, and now she's talking about hindering. We must not hinder the children. And she starts out with a child's relationship with Almighty God. She says, the most fatal way of despising the child falls under the third educational law, is to overlook and make light of his natural relationship with Almighty God. Suffer the little children come unto me, says the Savior, as if that were the natural thing for the children to do, the thing that they do when they are not hindered by their elders. This is the natural thing that we're all designed to do, is to run to God, to run to our Savior. Mm-hmm. And it's it's poisoned and it's twisted and it's and and we are we are uh, we're fallen. But that is still our natural inclination, is to run to God. As the babe turns to his mother, as the flowers turn to the sun, so the hearts of the children turn to their Savior. With unconscious delight and trust. Yeah. It's a, it's a big deal. And so she goes on to talk about nursery theology. She says, now listen to what goes on in many a nursery. God does not love you, you naughty wicked boy. Or he will send you to the bad, wicked place. And all this is the practical teaching about the ways of his almighty lover that the child gets. The lover who's just going to send him to hell. Yeah. Well, sure, God loves you, and he's going he's gonna to condemn you. 
I think a lot of that goes back to a Christian foundation of a society where, where if that's the basis, then um, believing or non-believing, that's what you're brought up in. Right. And that's that's where you get your foundation and what matters is, you know, if you're bad, you'll go to hell mm-hmm. or you're, you go to the bad, wicked place. Sorry, not hell. The bad, wicked place. It's interesting that that these are the things that are put in the way. The the perfunctory prayers, the idle discussions, light use of holy words, in on top of incorrect theology. Yeah. And these are what gets in the way that that hinders tact tactically forbidden to come to me. So I don't know. It's 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 interesting to me that that she says that this is the most fatal way, and she spends the least amount of time on it. It's because it seems pretty straightforward, I guess. But no, I agree. I, there's there's less than there's less than one full page dedicated to this point. Even though you're right, she says it is the most important, and it is the capstone. I'm wondering if she's going to touch on it more later. Or if she assumes that it's societally accepted, and so she doesn't have to dwell on it. If that's the big thing of the day. Yeah, if it's the big thing of the day to to give proper nursery theology, then she doesn't have to say much, and her listening audience will go, oh yeah, well of course. Because in today's day and age, you'd think she would spend a, a whole lot more time on that, because that's not the norm, is to even have nursery theology. Yeah. But that's that's it. Those are the those are the three, the three. What does she call them? The three gospel. Oh, where to go? The three the code com- of education in the gospels. Yeah, the three commandments of the code of education in the gospels. Take heed that ye offend not, despise not, nor hinder not. Which, even though those are three negatives, that outlines the way that we should treat our children and parent them is we should give them proper nursery theology. We should teach them that God loves them. We should make sure that their faults are, are serious and that we, we deal with these things as they come. We should make sure that the people that are entrusting that we're entrusting our children with are good and proper to teach them properly. We should give them the best of their mothers we should give them love. We should give them an intellectual life. We should give them healthy food and ventilation and have them outside. So all of these things that, that she goes through as negatives, like she said at the beginning, they you can look at them also as the positives, even though it's we should not do these things. Well, then we should do the opposite of those things. In order to not do it, you have to know what it is. Exactly. Well, which is why we started, uh, it's why we started talking through and reading through book two is so that we could understand the why. And that's where she's starting here. She's not starting with, well, here's lesson one. This is what you do. And it's, it's been interesting even, even today, just coming at it with the framework of volume two behind me. I, I, I keep seeing things. Oh yeah. She talked about this already. Yeah. Oh yeah. She talked about this already. And not quite the exact same words, and she's it, it feels very condensed here, but 
she's covering the same framework. She is. She absolutely is. So. So if you haven't yet read uh, volume two or, or listened to it or studied through it, go back and listen to our first season and all of those shows. And sorry for poor editing or poor conversations because we were new at this, but go, go give them a listen there. I think there's a lot of value in that book and having that as a basis. Yeah. I I think it's very important to have the why before you dive into the what. So, you know, plug for our show. If you haven't listened to the first season yet, go take a listen to those ones and, and uh, struggle your way through book two. And then I guess, then continue with book one or I don't know, double duty and listen to all of it. You can binge on it. I don't, I don't know if I'd want to, but no, <laughs> no, that's it's, it's that's heavy material, especially, especially the first, well, gosh, a lot of those chapters were heavy in book two. They're dense. They're dense, but there's a lot of value to them. They're densely valuable. Densely valuable. Just like me. <laughs> I don't even I don't even know where you're going with that. I don't know. <laughs> Densely valuable. Yeah. <laughs> That's those are two words that I don't think should go together in any way, shape, or form. No, probably not. Well, if you're still here with us, thank you for listening. If you have any comments or thoughts, you can hit us up on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, or you can email us. Uh, we've been getting some more comments and emails and it's uh, like, I've, I know I've said it any number of times. It's great to hear from everybody. Great to hear your opinions and your thoughts, either if you agree or disagree, or you think what we're doing is silly or you wish we were doing something else. YouTube. Also YouTube. Oh yeah. YouTube too. Uh, yeah. Click the subscribe button and the little bell so that you is there a little bell yes there's a little bell click the subscribe button and the little bell we had this discussion we did and you'd know nothing about youtube <laughs> i don't because if you don't click on the little bell you might not actually get a notification because youtube's algorithms are crazy and it might not be thrown into your feed so click the little bell and you'll get a notification or something i don't know i've never clicked the bell on any other youtube channel but <laughs> i guess i'm terrible at that i've subscribed to a lot of things but i don't i don't click the bell but you definitely should okay good night thank you for listening join the conversation with us on instagram facebook or twitter